Well, I imagine that you have been wondering about this little blackened pile up here. And uh, this, my friends, is charred wood. Uh, you know, the, the black, messy stuff that you have left over after there's been a fire. And, uh, and so why you're wondering, is there a pile of charred wood up here on the platform? And, and could I just say that you're asking some wonderful questions. Um, so the pile is here because it actually plays a part in what we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, but before we get into that, we're going to start with another one of our unexpected stories, and uh, one that it too involves some charred wood. Here we go. Hi, um, my name is Rosalie DiMaggio. This is a story of something unexpected that happened to me, but God was all over it. In the late fall of 1991, I was living in Oakland, California, and on a Sunday morning, I went to church as usual, alone. Um, I was married at the time, but my husband did not share my belief. Um, he also left that day. He took one of our three dogs, and he went out of town for the day. As I was coming home from, ch from church later that afternoon, I saw fire in the distance, I saw smoke, and I turned quickly turned on the radio to the news station. Um, I tried to get some news of what was happening, and they were talking about mandatory evacuations, they were talking about, they said that uh, some homes had already been destroyed, and they started naming the streets, and I recognized the streets because it was my neighborhood. When I got to the freeway that led, led to my house, uh, it was blocked by the highway patrol, and I could see up ahead that the freeway was empty. I uh, got my driver's license out. I showed them my driver's license. I said, my, you know, my house is there, and they, they said, go. And so I was driving on this freeway by myself. And um, when I got to the exit for my house, it was completely blocked. I, I couldn't go any further. There were fire trucks and fire hoses and people everywhere. By then I was really, really scared and talking to God and, and I just said, God, you know, if you've taken my house, you can have my car too. And I pulled my car off to the side of the road and I just got out and started running. I mean, all I could think about was I had still had two dogs that were in the house and I just wanted to get to them and get them out. As I was running basically into the fire, people were running out of, they were running away, and I was running towards. I mean, it was just pandemonium everywhere. People were screaming, and of course, they're carrying personal possessions and pets and um, all manner of things. Every house that I passed was on fire, but as I got closer to my house, the, it was the, the heat just intensified, and the smoke was black, and my mouth had become full of ashes, and um, as I was getting closer, a fireman stepped out, and he just looked at me, and he's like, what are you doing? And I told him about my dogs. I wanted to get my dogs in, out, and he said, you know, they probably escaped, and they're probably running around. And I said, no, 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 they're, they're locked up in the backyard, and, and they can't get out. And he said, okay, well, let's go together. And, you know, he's in full protective gear, and I was in a skirt and in sandals. 
as we got even closer to my house, of course, the, the smoke again was just, it just kept intensifying and the heat, I could barely breathe. And he just told me, wait right here. And, and he asked me for my address and he disappeared into the smoke for what felt like an eternity. But he came back and he said, oh, I kicked the door in of your house so your dogs can get out. And I said, no, no, they were in the backyard. So I just turned around, I started running again because there is an alleyway that would allow me to get to my house uh, in the opposite direction. So I tried that and again, the, the smoke and the fire just drove me back. I couldn't even get close. So I had to give up getting to my dogs and I immediately broke down and just started wailing and I collapsed in the street and I got really disoriented. I didn't know what I was doing. And unbelievably, this man came by in a car and saw me. And he came out and he goes, are you okay, lady? Do you need help? And I couldn't even respond. I just kind of looked at him and, and I don't know what kind of I looked like, but he just came over and picked me up and put me in his car. And he said, where can I take you? So um, we had a catering kitchen in the downtown area of Oakland. So he took me there. All the phone lines were down, no, um, nothing was working. But we had one phone line called a Watts line that worked and I could make calls out, but I couldn't receive any. So I was able to get a hold of my husband. I was able to get a hold of my family. Um, the 49ers were playing a football game that day and of course it was on the news on the 49er game. And at the end of the day, 3,500 homes had burned and 25 people died. And um, they estimated the temperature of the fire to be between 1,800 and 2,000 degrees. But in spite of that, we went back later that night and found my car completely untouched and I was able to get in it and drive it away. I don't deny at all that I was devastated by this fire. It was um, life, absolutely life changing. But what I do want to say is that God was with me. I, I felt his presence before, during, and after. I just know he was with me and his promises are true. Uh, one of the big lessons that I learned was to hold things loosely, um, especially things, and they are just things, and they're very, very important. I'm not saying that, but to hold them lightly. For people who are fearful about the future, the future is unknown, it is, but we know who goes into the future with us and he's so trustworthy and he's a great provider, he's a great protector. He, he goes with us no matter what and no matter uh, where we go and we can trust him. Well, Rosalie, thank you for sharing your story. He does go with us into an unknown future. The final character that I want us to consider as we finish up this series that I've titled Unexpected is a guy named Simon. A guy who would also come to have a painful story involving charcoal. But to really appreciate the unexpected turns in Simon's life, you really have to go back to the beginning, back to when Simon first met Jesus, which is a story you find if you look at Luke chapter five. Uh, 
For Simon, it was a workday seemingly like any other workday. I'm gonna guess it was a Wednesday because Wednesday is hump day. We know that's a tough day to get through. And when you read the story, you realize that Tuesday night had not been a good night for Simon. Uh, Simon was a fisherman. Uh, they had been working the night shift. They had spent hours in their boat standing, casting nets, pulling nets in, but they never found any fish. And so Wednesday morning, the only thing that they have in their boats are damaged nets from snagging them on rocks during the night. And then there's a guy that shows up on the shore. And there seem to be a lot of people crowding around trying to hear what he's saying. And of course, it turns out that it's this rabbi, Jesus, who's been traveling around. Jesus suddenly approaches Simon and asks if he would mind taking him out just a little ways offshore in his boat so he can better address these crowds. A little water makes some good space between you and the crowd. It also is great for projecting your voice. And so Simon obliges, and as a result, he gets this VIP private box seat for Jesus' sermon. And it's interesting that in Luke's account, all he says is that Jesus then taught the people. He doesn't say anything about what Jesus actually taught, what he said. In this instance, what mattered wasn't so much the teaching to the crowd. What mattered was this encounter between Jesus and Simon. So with the teaching done, Jesus tells Peter that he should push out into deeper water and he wants him to drop his nets like he's going to go fishing again. And um, I, I got to think that, that Peter, Simon, is thinking to himself, well, this, this rabbi probably knows a lot about religion, but um, he's pretty sure he doesn't know a thing about fishing. And, and so he informs Jesus that they, the professional fishermen, have already fished all night without any success. But being a nice guy and wanting to humor the rabbi, Simon agrees to try one more time. And of course, the result is that the nets are swamped with fish. In fact, the nets start to break. This time, not because they're snagging on rocks, but because they just can't hold the abundance of fish that they have. Simon's response is really fascinating. Here's what it says in Luke 5, 8. When Simon saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I find an interesting response to catching a lot of fish. Depart from me because I am a sinful man, O Lord. Well, rather than departing, Jesus had some astonishing news for Simon. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their nets to land, they left everything and followed him. Wow. Talk about being in the right place at the right time. And Simon recognizes that a grand opportunity has just come knocking at his door. And without hesitation, he just grabs hold and hangs on. And so the adventure began. And what an adventure it was. As the story unfolds, you quickly discover that Simon wasn't just one of the crowd. There were crowds all around, but Simon wasn't just one of the crowd. He was certainly part of the crowd, but it was more than that. Uh, he was one of the 12. 
But he wasn't even just one of the 12, though he certainly was that as well. No, Simon became one of the three who were closest to Jesus. We're told that there was Simon and James and John. In fact, Simon got his very own nickname in response to a declaration that he made once when Jesus asked his disciples who they thought he was. Simon piped up and he says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Uh, Peter had seen enough. He believed. Here's what Jesus had to say in reply. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So Jesus gave Simon this name of Peter or Petros. Uh, Petros means the rock. No, not, not, not that rock. Um, that must have left Peter's head kind of spinning. Like, what did that really all mean? Uh, he didn't know exactly what it meant, but he was sure it must mean that Jesus had big things in store for him. He was on the inside track. He was, again, definitely in the right place at the right time. Being one of the three meant that Simon had some very special experiences. As you read through the New Testament, you see a number of these incidents. Uh, once, while Jesus was teaching, there were messengers that came to inform him that the local leader of the synagogue was requesting for Jesus to come quickly to his home because his little daughter was terribly ill. But before Jesus can even get started, the message comes that the little girl has actually died. And there is no point bothering Jesus any further. And then this happens. Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, little girl, get up. And the girl immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. You actually see this pattern several times where Jesus does a miracle and then he tells those who witness it not to tell anyone. It appears that he intentionally took pains not to overhype the crowds. Jesus throughout says, my time has not yet come. And you see that all through the Gospels, there's this very careful measuring out of when he allows the crowds to really become caught up in who is he as their Messiah. But Simon knew. Simon was one of the few that Jesus let in on this amazing event. Now, seeing a miracle is pretty amazing, but actually experiencing one is even better. Simon 
AKA Peter the Rock, had already experienced the miracle of catching a lot of fish. But that was nothing compared to the night when he thought he was going to drown. The story is that Peter and the other disciples had set out on a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had stayed behind to pray. He said that he was going to catch up to them later. Uh, it was late in the day, and before they could get across, we're told that they get caught in a violent windstorm, uh, something that the Sea of Galilee is known for. Uh, they end up in a losing battle with waves and wind and the boat taking on water, and disaster seems more and more certain as the storm rages on in the night. Now, you remember I said that Jesus had told them he was going to catch up with them later. Now, they assumed that meant that he would either catch a ride in another boat or that he was going to take a hike and go around the lake. Jesus chose this third way, kind of the best of both. He took a walk across the lake during the storm. Talk about unexpected. Here's how Matthew records the story from Matthew 14. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, I guess. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he, Peter, saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Peter was right there once again. Peter was again on his knees, once again overwhelmed with wonder, once again grateful that he had been in the right place at the right time. Then there was that night on the mountain. Wow, the night on the mountain. Again, Jesus only lets Peter and James and John go along, and here's what happened from Mark chapter 9. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before him, before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, so no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we're here, right place, right time. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, for he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And you just got to love that. Peter doesn't know what to say, so he just says something, right? And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. 
You know, after experiences like that, Peter might have had questions about some of the things that Jesus said. But one thing he was convinced of to the soles of his feet was that he was Jesus' man. Staying close to Jesus was always a sure way to be in the right place at the right time. And Peter knew that that's exactly where he was going to stay. One night after dinner, Jesus made a very unexpected statement. Mark 14. Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he, Peter, said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Well, of course, as the night would sadly prove, Jesus was right and Peter was wrong. Soldiers came. Judas, the traitor, bestowed his awful kiss. In the chaos, the disciples ran and Jesus was taken away. To his credit, Peter did follow at a safe distance. He actually snuck into the courtyard where Jesus had been taken. Here's what we find in John 18. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. See? Charcoal. I told you it was going to show up. Well, good for Peter for even being there. I mean, really, what, what a terrifying place to, to be in the middle of all of these soldiers and this hostile crowd. Peter actually went. But then, when the question came, are you one of his followers? Peter denied it. And he denied it again. And he denied it again. And then the rooster crowed. The Gospel of Mark is sometimes referred to as the Gospel of Peter because there's good evidence that Peter himself was the prime source for Mark's material. When, when Mark wraps up the story of Peter on that dreadful night, the words are very short. And, and I have to wonder if Mark heard them from Peter and chose to keep them simple rather than record the anguish that he saw in his mentor's face. D did he hear Peter's voice still quiver when he recounted the coward that he was that night? Everything that had seemed beautiful and exciting and filled with hope seemed to be burning down around Peter just like that fire. And even worse, the man Peter had been envisioning himself to be, that burned to the ground as well. The guy who had seen what few had seen, the one who had earned that awesome nickname as The Rock, the one who had promised that not even death would tear him away, 
had in a moment of crisis turned tail and run. In fact, he hadn't just run, he had repudiated with curses that he even knew who Jesus was. By the time that night was over, Peter the Rock had been reduced to Simon the Coward. And so it seems fitting that it was a chicken that heralded his failure. And then Jesus died. And for Simon, everything went black. But we know that that wasn't the end. The biggest unexpected in history is what we celebrated last Sunday. It's Easter. The one who died rose again. It was the women who first discovered the empty tomb and encountered an angel. That was a bit of a shock. Listen to the angel's words from Mark 16. He, the angel, said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And right there, we get a first glimpse of this post-resurrection grace. Go tell the disciples, especially Peter. It wasn't go tell Simon the coward. It was go tell Peter the rock. Disciples did indeed see the risen Christ. We're told they actually saw him several times. One of my favorites is when Jesus comes to meet them after they'd been out fishing once again all night with no success. And just like the first time, Peter meets Jesus. They don't recognize him from the shore, but just like that first time, Jesus tells them to try casting again. And once again, when they do, their nets are bursting with abundance, at which point Peter has one of those Yogi Berra deja vu all over again kind of experiences. He's been through this once before, and he suddenly realizes who is on the beach. We're told that he just jumps in the water, clothes and all, and swims to the beach. And we're told that when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. It was after that breakfast that Jesus pulled Peter aside and quizzed him as to whether or not Peter really loved him more than all the other disciples. That was a hard conversation for Peter. Peter knew what Jesus was getting at. He had made those big boasts about never forsaking Jesus, even if everybody else did. And then he was the one who had not just run away, but who had straight up denied that he even knew Jesus. Not just once, but three times. That number, I think, had rolled over and over in his head for days. So when Jesus asked him the same question, do you love me more than these? And he asked it three times in a row. Peter knew he was being confronted with his failure by the very one that he had failed. But the beautiful part of that story is that Jesus didn't condemn Peter. 
He didn't even go back to just calling him Simon. Forget the rock nickname. He kept calling him the rock, and, and then he commissioned him. He said over and over, feed my sheep. Peter, do you really love me more than these? Well, he can't say that. It's okay, Peter, I have a mission for you. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter, I know you and I know your shame. But I love you. I have work for you to do. Not because you are so strong, but because I will be strong in you. And if we read the story, we find that God's spirit did move strongly in and through Peter. When the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, it was Peter who was empowered to stand up and preach the sermon. And it turned out pretty well. Acts 2.41, those who received Peter's word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's not bad for one sermon. And Peter kept on preaching. He didn't just preach with power. God used Peter to heal many. We read about a lame beggar that became unlame. Another paraplegic named Aeneas who got up and walked away from his bed. A woman named Dorcas who was actually brought back to life. In fact, God used Peter so much that there is this really intriguing passage in Acts chapter 5. Look what it says. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. Peter, the coward, God chose to use him. All that preaching and healing may have made Peter popular with some, but he was hated by others. Twice the book of Acts tells us that he was hauled in before the Jewish council. No doubt some of the same characters who had played a role in plotting against Jesus. But this time, instead of denying Christ, Peter, filled with God's spirit, is bold. Here's what Acts 4 says. Peter speaking. Do you want to know how this man was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. It's a different Peter. It's a Peter who amazes the very people that he had been afraid of with his boldness. You know, all through the Bible, we discover unexpected people who were met by God in unexpected ways and used by him to accomplish unexpected things. 
And so I hope the theme that you've heard throughout this series is that while life can hit us with unexpected twists and losses and even catastrophes, we serve a God of unexpected reversals. A God of grace who can step into the places of our greatest brokenness and bring healing. A God who can not only restore our souls, but one who's delighted to use us to bring hope and help to others. He made a childless man like Abraham, the father of a nation. He made a rejected sibling like Joseph, the hero of his family. He called a hot-headed failure like Moses out of a burning bush and used him to set his people free. He empowered a coward like Gideon and a band of oddball soldiers to rout an entire army. He grafted a Gentile prostitute like Rahab into the family tree of the Messiah. He took a bereaved and bitter woman like Naomi, and he gifted her with joy. He used Esther, who at first glance seemed like just another pretty face, to deliver a nation from certain death. He called a worried man like Ananias to bring sight and spiritual healing to someone who had once been the hostile enemy of Christ, the man Saul. He honored a doubter like John the Baptist, and he made him the herald of the coming king. He placed a miracle in the womb of a young village girl like Mary and made her the mother of his holy son. And he renamed Simon the Rock. And despite his fear and his failure, he told him, feed my sheep. What set all of these apart was not being great people or having perfect lives or even being in the right place at the right time. What set them apart was their willingness to trust God, to wait for him, to take the steps of faith that he asked them to take. Some of those steps were big, some of them were small to turn their faces to him even after great failure. And the rest was grace. Unexpected, undeserved, unending grace. There's an old chorus I remember when I was young. This is what it said. Something beautiful, something good, all my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and shame, but he made something beautiful of my life. And I don't know, maybe that is some of us right now. All we have to offer is brokenness and shame. And we wonder, would God really have a use for somebody like me? Ashes, burned bits of charcoal, 
that seems like it pretty well sums up life right now. But you know, even charcoal can become a thing of beauty when it's placed into an artist's hands. Something 